You're tuned in to Full Service Radio. Full Service Radio. Full Service. Full Service. Full Service. Full Service Radio. Full Service Radio is supported by Compass, the future of real estate in the metro D.C. area and beyond. Discover more at compass.com. Full Service Radio is proudly supported and hosted by Simplecast, the easiest way for a podcast creator to publish and distribute audio on the internet. For more information, visit simplecast.com. Hi, everybody. I'm Kirsten Bourne, or Kiko for short, and this is Lunch Agenda on Full Service Radio at the Line Hotel in D.C. Every Monday at noon, I spend lunch break with advocates, doctors, parents, and more to hear their agenda for the food system. And I ask each guest for one action our listeners can take to change things for the better. You can see pics of the show at KikoBuff on Instagram. And I wanted to say a quick thank you to Travis Mitchell, a new friend who wrote about Lunch Agenda in On Tap Magazine's winter issue. I was really proud to, to have the show covered. So if you want to read about it, check it out at ontaponline.com. Today we kick off our second Lunch Agenda series, Food at School. Hear that? It's kids getting out of school. In this series, I'll explore how public school districts, charter schools, and nonprofits are innovating to ensure kids get good food at school and take healthy habits home with them. Today, we'll talk with Jody Tick and Lindsay Morton, two DC nonprofit woman leaders using elementary schools as a place to provide groceries to families when barriers stand in their way to getting good food elsewhere. Then next week, we'll continue the series, and I'll talk about how healthy food habits are being forged in D.C.'s early childhood centers. Finally, we'll look at two new initiatives for making school food fresher and crunchier in D.C. and right over the border in Virginia. But first, Kiko's Food News. Very serious. So that is the sound of Kiko's Food News where I offer a few headlines from the broader food system. And I pulled two quote-unquote fangirls into the studio this morning, uh, which, which I had to bring on as a, as, a, as a news correspondent today. I brought in my friend Wendy and my friend Whitney. And Whitney covers food systems issues um, in local publications that range from the Washington Post to Chesapeake Bay Journal. And so I asked her to weigh in on news today. I'm going to kick it off. Have you tried oat milk in your coffee yet? It's a new entrant to the plant-based beverage industry, and baristas are loving its quote-unquote creamy yet neutral taste, its foamability, and its ecological cred. The branding, the brand leading the pack is Oatly, which is a 25-year-old food and bev company founded in Malmo, Sweden. And in just a year, Oatly has spread from 10 locations in New York to more than 1,000 nationwide with an interesting distribution model that focuses on coffee shops instead of grocery stores. So Whitney might have some extra insight here based on an article she wrote recently. Uh, I wrote about, I've been waiting to say this on the radio, yellow pea milk uh, made out of yellow split peas. Um, it's much better than it sounds, and it's made by Ripple. I wrote about that for NPR. Um, so it has a strong protein profile, huh. eight grams per cup, just like cow's milk, and less sugar in the original. 
So they're trying to get a, a comparable option for all those allergy kids like mine. Ah, yeah. <laughs> and for people who are concerned about eating meat, which maybe we'll talk about as well. So if if pea, yellow pea milk has eight grams of protein per cup, do you have any idea where oatly is in I that? I don't. I, I didn't profile that. It has way more than almond is like one gram. Mm. Um, cashew, coconut, all of those have other issues as far as their fat profile. So this was a comparable milk to... Uh, to dare it to regular cow's milk, but it uh, avoided some of the pitfalls as far as the environmental issues of cow's milk. Right, right. Okay, so look out for oat milk and yellow pea milk coming to a coffee bar near you. News item two. Bloomberg reported that the Department of Labor hid economic analysis showing that their new proposed rule to make tips the property of restaurant owners would take billions of dollars out of workers' pockets. This has sparked outrage from worker advocates who say the move would permit management to skim their gratuities. Thanks to the lobbying prowess of the National Restaurant Association, Next, thanks to the lobbying, lobbying prowess of the National Restaurant Association, sorry, the restaurant industry is the second largest and absolute fastest growing sector of the U.S. economy, but it's also the lowest paying. Whitney, did you have one more headline you'd want to share? What have you been kind of reading about this week in food? There was a story in Civil Eats about, uh, you know, the movement of Eat Less Meat. It's even been advocated by, you know, the government that we need to eat less meat. That would be an improvement for the environment. Right. And there's kind of been this uh, response to that uh, from animal producers who contend that animal production is key to improving soil health. So you need their input in the environment um, in a healthy and balanced way, maybe fewer cows per acre, that Mm -hmm. sort of thing. So how do we reflect that on our plates? Um, what does that kind of diet look like? So there's a good conversation going on. Yeah, how do you that. know that the animal you're choosing in the grocery store is one that is part right. of a farm that really uses the, yeah. the outputs of the animal to keep the soil healthy? Yeah, in our area, the, um, there's a grazers network that the Chesapeake Bay Foundation runs, mm. and that's a great way. They have a list of farmers who do grazing, um, and so that's a great way to get your meat from somebody who's producing with the land in mind. Very cool. Grazers Network. I'm going to link that on Kiko's Food News later today. So I'll ask you for that link. Great. Well, we're going to take a break. And when we come back, I'll introduce Jody and Lindsay. And we'll get right into talking about food markets in schools. Stay tuned. Full Service Radio is supported by Compass. Discover Compass, America's first modern real estate company. By pairing the industry's top agents with technology, Compass delivers an incomparable client experience from the first-time buyer to the seasoned seller. Visit them today in D.C., Maryland, and Virginia, or navigate compass.com day or night. Super stoked that Compass came on to be the first sponsor of Full Service Radio, by the way. And I have to give a shout-out to... My favorite Compass agent, Brian Smith. He was the first Compass agent I met, and um, I've learned a lot about their company that way, and I'm just really excited that, they've, that they're innovators and, and teaming up with us. So I'm back from break. This is Kiko on Lunch Agenda, and it's time to delve into food at school. My two guests today are powerhouses, bringing food, fruit, veggies, and pantry items to more to, and more to schools and neighborhoods underserved by grocery offerings. 
I had the pleasure of getting to know each of today's guests when I worked at the Capital Area Food Bank, which provides food to over half a million residents of the DMV each year through a network of partners. And while I was at the food bank, it became clear to me that schools, and specifically elementary schools, were a very important type of partner, a venue for connecting with families in need of food. So I'm first going to introduce a, a former coworker, Jody Tick. Jody's been at the Capillary Food Bank since 2006. And in her role of chief operating officer, Jody provides strategic direction and oversight to the ac- of of the acquisition and distribution of food. Jody Jody also oversees the food bank's work with 444 food assistance partners and programs, as well as the food bank's volunteer base of 26,000 volunteers and the development of information systems and metrics to inform the food bank's decisions. Jody has also served as a chair of the of the DC Public Schools Office of Food and Nutrition Services Family and Friends Advisory Committee, Woo. and as a member of the Mayor's Commission on Food and Nutrition. Jody, you're shaking your head. Welcome, but what did I say wrong? No, you're perfect. Um, I think um, it speaks for itself. <laughs> it does. Very impressive. Um, it was it was an utter pleasure to work under your leadership for almost four years. So can you give our listeners a sense of the Capital Area Food Bank broadly and, you know, then ultimately the food banks work in schools? Sure. I, and I just before I start, I just want to say it's so nice to be here with you today. Thanks. And I, I love that you're doing the show. You're bringing up very important topics that we need to be talking about. So thank you. Thank Kirsten. you. Um, you know, as Kirsten mentioned, the Capital Area Food Bank is currently serving 540,000 of our neighbors in need. But I want to set a little context of what hunger looks like throughout the metropolitan area. First of all, we know that hunger is here. Hunger exists in every zip code throughout the metropolitan area. 700,000 of our neighbors don't always know where their next meal is coming from. And hunger in our region doesn't always look like what you would expect it to look like. Over half of the people that we're serving are working many two and three jobs. This is a theme that I really keep drilling in on this show. Many own their own homes. So there's a high cost of living in the metropolitan area, right? And, And so families are struggling to make ends meet. And unfortunately, food is often the trade off. It's, you know, food or healthcare, food or paying for childcare costs, food or the rent. Um, so what the Capillary Food Bank is doing is that, you know, we're working to eliminate these trade-offs and we're working to solve hunger and reduce food insecurity. We are the largest organization in the metropolitan area providing food and nutrition education resources to the community. And as you noted, we do this in partnership, partnerships across the board, but specifically through a network of 444 partner nonprofits, many of which include large organizations like our friends at Martha's Table mm-hmm. and Bread for the City in D.C., uh, Manna in Montgomery County, Food for Others in Fairfax. But most of our partners are small, organiza- small organizations, and many of them are faith-based, operating solely on the help of volunteers. And they may open, be open only once or twice a month for a few hours, but they're still providing a critical resource to their community. Mm-hmm. And while we prefer to work with our partners, with brick and mortar, um, those who are distributing food, Um, Where there are not enough partners or not a brick and mortar, we'll roll up with a truck and deliver groceries directly to the community, fruits and vegetables, other healthy items. And last year, working in partnership, the Capillary Food Bank provided 36 million meals to the community, to 540,000 people. And it's important to note that that's 12% of our region's population. 
that's a staggering amount for being in the nation's capital in yeah. one of the wealthiest countries in the United yeah, States. Yeah, when I when I was a representative of the food bank, that 12% was a number I, I referenced regularly. Like To think that there's no grocery store that feeds that many people. There's no any other source of food that feeds 12% of people um, in the region. Yeah, and that's, that's very important too. And so what we've realized at the Capillary Food Bank is that it's not only providing enough food, but the right kinds of foods, making sure that food is healthy so we're nourishing people, not just filling bellies. Mm -hmm. And that's something that we've been focused on, especially as we work with vulnerable populations such as seniors and children. Yeah. And so, you know, you've been at the food bank for 12 years, which I love. One of the best parts about that organization was the family of people who worked there and some up to 30 years. Um, Have you, has the food bank always done market food markets in schools you know actually we haven't we have had children's programming for years such as providing hot meals to children after school Mm -hmm. or supplemental food to children over the weekend to bridge that that gap but we've been thinking more and more lately about schools as just the perfect venue uh, to more effectively reach kids and families together with good food because what we know is that exposure to good eating habits early are the key to building healthy, lifelong, good food habits. Yeah, and and that makes sense to me as a member of society, as a parent even. Uh, but I also wanted to get the perspective of uh, an administrator or a teacher who is in the school and kind of ask them, you know, why would they wa- why would they want the food bank and Martha's Table, who we'll, we'll speak with Lindsay in a moment, to come into their environment and offer food? So I did visit one of the markets that the food bank collaborates with Martha's on these joyful food markets last week. They're vibrant, and we'll we'll go into depth about them. But I did get a quick soundbite from. Quentin Lewis, who's their school coordinator of the Joyful Food Markets, who told me that of the 270 families in the school, 180 come to these markets on average, and um, and that he, you know, had some perspectives about why it makes sense for them to to have this offering in the school. So here's Quentin speaking with me. It's a wonderful way to connect all of the dots. We teach them how to live, teach them a way of life here, and then we show them. And I think what better way than let it be tangible and sticky for them to like see it and be a part of it. The amount of food we waste and throw away just from day to day because we have to serve every child on a roster. Kids don't necessarily eat what they don't know or what they don't like or what they're not accustomed to. So when it comes to like breakfast, snack, and lunch that we serve at our schools, I see so much food being thrown away and wasted because kids just aren't exposed to it like what's this Mr. Lewis and then we teach what it is and stuff but if they don't eat those things at home on a regular basis they won't like know if they like it or even begin to like it so I think this is a great way to like segue into hey guys this is how you eat this is how you can eat so that was Quentin Lewis at a joyful food market last week and these joyful food markets are a partnership between the Capital Area Food Bank and Martha's Table uh, with sources of funding such as the DC government itself I want to introduce our second guest now, who is uh, who works for Martha's Table, and has been growing these markets across DC's DC's wards seven and eight. Hi, Lindsay. Hi. How are you? I'm Hi, great. Lady. Hi, Lindsay. So, Lindsay, let me introduce Lindsay officially. Lindsay is a third generation Washingtonian. 
She's the director of healthy market programs at Martha's Table, where she oversees activation and execution of these joyful food markets. And prior to joining the table, as I as I know that those <laughs> those um, Martha's staff refers to it, Lindsay Mer- served as a marketing and community relations director for Whole Foods, and she supported the opening of their community based low cost store model in New Orleans. She's also worked in marketing for the NFL Players Association and the New Orleans Pelicans, which is NBA. I wouldn't have known was an NBA team. That's how out of it I am. Um, so Lindsay comes with that background, and I'm just really happy to have you on the show. So Lindsay, can you explain what Martha's does at each school once the food bank has delivered the food to that school? Sure. Um, well, the Joyful Food Market Partnership with the Capital Area Food Bank is very, very unique one that we're really proud of, and it's gotten us into a really wonderful space for us to be able to now stand with neighbors and support um, the the growing need to shore up um, equal access to food. Um, And so through the food bank, we're able to source a really high-quality, beautiful, wonderful menu of options. Um, A lot of it is fresh fruits and vegetables. Through our survey, we've heard from families that the most valuable offering that we um, can have, and the ones that is challenging for parents to access month to month is produce. So we are intentional about um, highlighting fresh fruits and vegetables in the marketplace, um, one, knowing that that's going to be a draw for families, but also because part of the opportunity for the program is to now look at how we can also encourage consumption of access um, or consumption of fresh fruits and vegetables. Um, so a delivery comes to a school every month. That school helps uh, recruit volunteers and works with us to get the word out to families. And then um, at the sound of the dismissal bell, we create the equivalent of a mini farmer's market or a food festival event in a cafeteria or an auditorium, a gymnasium. We have folks who are dressed up in fruits and vegetable costumes. We're playing music. Um, There's fresh um, ingredients being prepared, and there's a lot of smells and sounds and Um, It all comes together in a two-hour event where families and students are encouraged to come by um, and at no cost can select up to about 23 pounds of um, produce and a selection of dry pantry staples like fresh um, or rice and beans, pastas, things that we know are going to be meaningful and help contribute to um, meals month to month. So um, it's a wonderful, wonderful day, as you saw last week, a lot happening Um, It can be a little bit crazy, but it all just goes to show the strength of community, but also just where there's a lot of excitement and energy, particularly in Ward 7 and Ward 8, for um, increased access to fresh fruits and vegetables. Yeah, I I echo what you said about it. it can be a little bit crazy. I mean, I have so much respect for what you do in terms of you're managing your team at Martha's who executes all these markets. You have the volunteers each day that are new and need to learn, you know, what the goal of the market is. You have elementary school kids who are running through like it's, <laughs> I guess, gym class. And um, it, it takes a flexibility that I know you have. Yeah. <laughs> so I I kind of acted like a volunteer for a moment last week at the market, and I got to hear your coworker, Lonnie, giving us a little orientation. And I caught it on audio, too, so people could get a better sense of, of how it feels to be there right as the market is opening. So some of you all may know, and some of you all may not know, that families are coming to the market, pick and choose what they would like, and we serve it to them. 
kids aren't able to come in the market and shop by themselves. So if you see a little one, don't be alarmed. They can shop by themselves, okay? So this market is basically for them, for them to come in and start off early of learning how to shop for themselves and how to pick those healthy options and get familiar with them. And the way we tie all of that together is with our food education. Anything you would add to that, Lindsay? Yeah, I mean, I think Ronnie sums it up. It, it is truly for the school. It's not our intention to dictate to um, school leaders or to parents directly, you know, what's the best way, um, what's the best diet or what's the best approach. We don't come at this from a nutritional um, or high scientific dietetic perspective. Um, we, we value fruits and vegetables, and we know that they do wonderful things for our body, and it's it's that simple and it's that joyful for us. And so um, we really emphasize students and families being able to um, come into the market and feel comfortable and, and we find in a way that's meaningful for that, for their family. Um, and so the food education that happens um, that's coordinated with our chef educators is, again, another way to highlight um, the basket of ingredients that we offer, but then in a real way be able to start working with younger younger audience, but also an older audience to try to um, encourage more cooking. We know, you know, we've heard stories nationally that folks just aren't cooking anymore. So in communities that are underserved or where there are limited options, the reality of being able to cook just is just not there. And so what we want to do with food education, again, is to remind families, like, create the time. A healthy meal um, is just a few minutes away, and it also actually tastes good. So a lot of what we feature are recipes that can be made from start to finish within the market setting so families can see in real time how it's done. Right, right. And speaking of you know, the, the chef teacher, I, I, I would say the beating heart of each of these markets is the cooking demo. And this past week at the, at the market I visited, Chef Rob was, um, all set up. He had Chinese carryout containers on the, (laughs) on the table and he had just a great way of explaining to the people in the room why the vegetables in there we're going to make them feel good and why they were doing that dish. So I actually uh, recorded him too, and this is Rob doing his cooking demo. My name is Rob, food educator for Market Table and Joyful Food Market. Today is all about colorful carryout. So as you see, we have some little carryout containers here. We, we want to inspire and encourage our families and children that they can go home and make their own carryout, utilizing the items that are here at the market. Anybody know what broccoli is good for or what parts of the body that it helps support? And nobody from yesterday. <laughs> Who said eyes? All right. Who said hair? Yes. What else? I know. I know a lot of females love to go to the nail salon and get them wonderful nails done. It's great for your nail support and things like that. What about these mushrooms here that we have here? You know what they're good for helps us with. You know what the sun give you? D. These mushrooms are a good source of vitamin D. And everybody knows what carrots are good for, right? Help support your eyes. So you had said, Lindsay, that, you know, you try not to claim to be nutritionists. But I think that the type of information the chef is offering is so... um, natural and relatable, I guess. Yeah. I I never knew broccoli is good for my nails. That was was new. (laughs) Um, 
And then he was talking about later how the whole wheat pasta, you know, how to cook whole wheat pasta instead of of regular pasta and how you really just cook it the same way, but why the fiber is good for digestion. And and I and I and I have seen the the quality of the food just get, become better and better that the food bank is sending. And it's it's a beautiful offering. So I want to turn um, to Jody for a minute and talk to you about the different models the food bank is piloting in this arena. So as, as we've talked about, Joyful Food Markets is a special collaboration with Martha's Table that, that we are offering the, we, I still say we. That's okay. I'm, you're I'm forever. You're once part of the you're food bank, of always part of the food bank. <laughs> <laughs> that are offered in um, elementary schools in DC, in wards seven and eight specifically. What else does the food bank have going on in the family market or, or in, in schools? Sure. I say. Currently we're operating 85 different school based markets throughout the metropolitan area. Um, almost half are the joyfuls. Um, the other models, one is we offer, operate our own model. It's called a family market. Um, and essentially that's, that's organized with the local school and the local school owns it and operates it. We deliver the food. It's about community buy-in and it's client choice. So families will go in and choose what they want together and usually there's something accompanied education-wise, whether it's a recipe or a produce guide or a cooking demo. Um, it really depends on, on the market and the time. Um, we operate about 44 of those. Um, and then the other model that we operate is brand new, started at the end of uh, November with our partners, Brighter Bites. Brighter Bites are based out of Texas. They actually operate markets in Texas, New York, Florida, and now D.C. <clears throat> Excuse me. And um, they're more co-op based. So it's all fruits and vegetables exclusively. Um, they work with parent volunteers at the school that day, bag up the produce, combine it with a recipe card or other educational materials, and they distribute it that day. Um, they also integrate nutrition education into the school curriculum throughout the entire year, which is a really interesting concept. And it's proven um, to be fruitful for lack of a better term, mm-hmm. um, and that it's really making a difference in terms of helping people understand how do you eat healthy on a budget and why it's important. And so these are, you know, the other models that we're looking at overall, we're probably reaching about 11,000 kids a month throughout wow. the metropolitan wow. area. So what I'm hearing is a, a variety of, you know, places where the, the food bank as the nonprofit kind of hands the torch to the school or hands the baton to the school. So for example, with the Brighter Bites model, you as, as, you know, coming with Brighter Bites are taking responsibility for the education as well in classrooms after. So that's a Brighter Bites piece. Right. We're actually, just like with, with Lindsay and the folks at Joyful, we're the food purveyor. Right. Right. We're so I, right. Produce fueling and then they're the front line if you will sure and so i should have stated it as brighter bites takes that takes right. that on that's right. whereas you know the, the the teacher we spoke with at kip arts and tech they integrate food into their curriculums as employees of the school um and it, it's just a theme that i hope to underscore throughout this series of food at school is the different ways to you know ensure that the kid is getting the the the, the right food at school getting you know integrating that eating of the food as a habit, learning more about it in the classroom. And and these are being done in so many different ways as traditional home ec kind of disappeared from schools after I seem to have gone through middle school. And they're reinforcers, right? Um, And, you know, if you can get those reinforcers, not just at the point of access, but that's very important, but through education, 
through other different types of means, then yeah. you know you're living it more fully, and that understanding will come to you. Yeah, and Jody, because you operate, you as the food bank operate these in-school markets for families in D.C., but also in Virginia and Maryland. Can you quickly tell us anything about what you're seeing in terms of the need in those suburban parts of the the food bank's um, area versus within the city? Yeah, so, you know, what's very interesting is that one of the the reasons why, you know, we're looking at schools um, with more of a focus is that schools are really parts of the community. Um, and, And that's the same, whether you're in, you know, suburban Virginia versus, you know, urban D.C. However, getting to school can be a little different depending upon where you live, right? Mm -hmm. A lot of folks um, can walk to their schools in the District of Columbia, whereas they may take a bus or have have to to drive to school. So making sure that we're providing venues so that people can access the food in a way that makes sense for them, um, you know, and just picking up your kid after school is just everyone does it, right? And if, if you can't, making sure that we can meet people where they are to make sure that they can get food. Mm -hmm. And I just want to take a moment to call out, you know, an area of work that I think the food bank was really smart to focus on when I was there, which is the hunger in, you know, various suburban counties, such as Prince George's, where we had, we had received information that 15% of Prince George's residents lack access to, to food, which is the highest rate in the metropolitan region. So I just want to you know, make sure that listeners appreciate the, um, the, ex- the existence of this problem you know, outside of the city because traditionally hunger has been seen, you know, equated as a, as, a, as a problem within cities more so. Yeah, it's a good point. Um, so I want to ask either of my guests to offer anything um, that you think that you wish listeners knew about the families that are served through these markets. It's kind of an offbeat question, but because our listeners can't come to the markets or maybe haven't yet, um, you know, what do you think that the world needs to know about those that we're serving? I mean, I, I can chime in. Um, you know, what I think is at the end of the day, everybody just wants the best for their family. Mm -hmm. And you know, what we're seeing and what you heard Lindsay say is that through surveys at the joyful food markets, people want more fruits and vegetables. And, you know, it's our job to do what we can to get those two people who need it. But we also need to think beyond that. You know, there's a lot of free food that's available through the emergency food assistance assistance system. At the Calvary Food Bank, we're thinking a lot about How do you help people go from free to affordable? And that's where I think we have a lot of work to do. How can we be a connector, a facilitator to put more retail establishments in in areas that may be considered food deserts, excuse me, which I know you've talked about in your show, Mm -hmm. or just making sure that that healthy food is affordable too. Um, Mm -hmm. So this is kind kind of the next phase of our work at the food bank, making sure that the emergency food system is is well taken care of, but also that next step for folks. Mm -hmm. People don't want to have free food forever. Yeah. Lindsay, would you, would you chime in with anything about the families that you're serving? Sure. Yeah. So we're um, actively serving as of today, about 6,000 families. And um, something that has always been um, really fascinating to me is that when we initially um, started to really put some supports behind the program and, and get into um, into gear, we early, immediately and early on identified that families really knew what was healthy. They knew and understood 
that fresh fruits and vegetables were valuable um, from a cost perspective, but also what they do um, for the body and, and what they can provide to a well-balanced diet and meal. And I sometimes believe that's lost in the conversation. I think a lot of the stats, particularly for, particularly for Ward 7 and Ward 8, maybe um, profile the community or, or suggest that these are neighbors who, you know, aren't as aware or as informed about healthy um options and how to eat healthy, but it's really not the case. It is, as, as Jody spoke to, it's about um, these other access barriers, be it um, quality and offerings that are in their neighborhood or pricing, um, and even sometimes, you know, the child's preference, not really knowing how to talk to children about or introduce to children these new and different um, flavors beyond um, things that are kind of always marketed to them or sold to them. So um, I think just knowing that these are families that have really great, strong intentions to eat healthy, and and particularly for parents and caregivers, they're super passionate and interested in being the best. It's now how do we, um, as a community, be it on the programming end, on the um, government, and wherever you fall, be able to stand with these communities and support folks in being able to reduce the barriers that prevent that from happening. Yeah. I, I, it just occurred to me that it's almost like these markets and the, and the cooking demos there are the next generation of food marketing to kids, like to reverse the, the woes of Tony the Tiger, et cetera, when yeah. we were little. So yeah, my, we, go ahead. We know we've heard from parents that that's the reason why they send and allow their kids to, you know, come every month and stay a little bit longer. It's because they're learning and they're having this positive conversation around food and this positive experience with food. So um, you're right. It's how do we kind of reverse the, the Tony the Tiger effect? Yeah. Um, so I'm going to ask you, Lindsay, to really quickly share any data that has been collected at, at your market, so at, at the Joyful Market so far, because I think there has been some interesting um, evidence of change before we move yeah. on to our agenda item, because we're, we're running up on our time. Sure. So really quickly, um, some of the things we're tracking are families' intentions to eat more fruits and vegetables. So last year, we identified a a 10% increase in that number where families um, are now, 75% of our families um, have identified that their intention or their preference to eat fruits and vegetables has increased. Um, We're also finding that about um, 65% of our families are cooking more at least five to seven times a week, which is really awesome. 63% 63% of our in, families in have, also, years, right? um, have also indicated that they're actually using the recipes that we share. So, again, this intentional effort of um, showing a recipe and demoing it in person has really been powerful. Um, and 75% have all reported that they've made changes to their child's diet after a visit to the market, such as offering more fruits and vegetables at home. So, we're definitely moving in the right direction. Yeah, and and these numbers reflect two years of the Joyful Food Market collaboration is, in operation? Yeah, two years. And what I rattled off was just um, our last year's stats. Wow. So from um, our first year to the second year, we've, we're kind of continuing on that trend of, of growth and positive behavioral change for families. So. Well, keep up the good work, you two. I, Thank I, you. You know, I'm proud to be surrounded by these efforts. It's inspiring. And if any of the listeners want to visit or more importantly, volunteer in a joyful food market, um, I'll have information about where you go to that. But Lindsay, do you just want to say the volunteers go to where on the Martha's Table website? Yep. 
Yep, it's MarthasTable.org, and you just click volunteer when you're on that on that page. All right, we need you. That was to the listeners. Yes. So, yes. <laughs> Jody and Lindsay, now is the time for you to ask our ask the listeners to do one thing that you think will change our food system for the better. I'll let you go first, Jody. Great. Um, so, visit our our website at www.capillaryfoodbank.org. And you heard me mention that there is hunger in every community. Check out our mm-hmm. hunger heat map on our website, our main page. Take a look at your community and take a look at what's going on. And then, you know, do something about it. Do something to solve hunger in your own community. That's how we're going to make a dent in hunger and food insecurity is that we all take responsibility for the communities where we live. Yeah, because every neighborhood um, in this region has people struggling. That's right. Thanks. And Lindsay, what about you? Interesting. I, I thought I've had a similar point. Um, and I think just get, being able to get out and see different neighborhoods is so critical, right? I think this issue of food access is sometimes hard to imagine or, or tackle or grasp if your neighborhood um, isn't challenged with that, if you have wonderful options. And so I would encourage people travel to a grocery store a little bit out of your region and see what it's like. Did, it, did things cost more? Were they presented differently? Um, and then use that as an opportunity, again, to do something and, and to correct um, uh, injustice and inequality because we're all one big community, right? And D.C. Is, is so small, but in many ways there's a lot of um, just things that are happening, I think, that folks aren't aware of because they're not getting out and not traveling around and not seeing different perspectives um, at the neighborhood level. Yeah. So get out. Get to know your neighbors. I love it. Be counteract your human tendency towards laziness and get out of your neighborhood. Or what's comfortable. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yep. Comfort. You're right. So you can find pictures of the kids and families and people in banana suits at Joyful Food Markets on the Joyful Food Markets Instagram, which is at Joyful Food Markets. For pictures from today's interview of my guests, check out my own Instagram, Kiko Buff. And if you share this podcast across social media, please include the hashtag lunch agenda. Thank you so much, and we'll see you next Monday. Thanks thanks for listening to this program on Full Service Radio, broadcasting and recording from the Line Hotel in Adams Morgan, Washington, D.C. Full Service Radio programming can be accessed live and archived on fullserviceradio.org. Our talk programming is available on most podcast apps like iTunes and Stitcher, and our DJ sets are available on Mixcloud.com slash Full Service Radio. Full Service Radio features over 30 weekly shows and over 50 local hosts covering every topic imaginable. If you want to be a guest or get involved, email us at info at fullserviceradio.org. Follow us on Twitter at FullServiceRDO on Instagram and Facebook at Full Service Radio. Thanks for listening.